Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. My name's Sarah and today I'm talking with Dr. Victoria Kromova, a child psychiatrist, coach and educator for parents around the topic of parenting. Victoria helps us understand the difference between what a psychiatrist is, a psychologist and therapist. And she talks about what it would look like to work with a psychiatrist if you had concerns about your child's mental health and why seeing a psychiatrist can be a really useful first point of call. She's going to share with us some of the advice that she's giving to parents at the moment, to parents who are helping children navigate the pandemic that we find ourselves in. And she talks about how she supports and prioritises her own mental health and why this is so important. Victoria also shares some resources that she has available Facebook group and some support for teens mental health. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did talking with Victoria. It really is insightful and hopefully demystifies some of the concerns we have around child mental health and some of the terminology and some of the ways that we can access support which I think sometimes can be confusing especially when we're stressed. So I hope you enjoy. If you have any further questions you can send her a quick email or pop into her Facebook group and I'm sure she'd be happy to help. But I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here, Victoria. You are the first psychiatrist on the podcast. And a question I'm asked a lot is about the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist or therapist. Could you explain what a psychiatrist is? Yeah, so I I get asked this a lot and I quite often get called a psychologist, actually. Um, So the main difference Mm. is the training. So as a psychiatrist, I I have had medical training. So I went through medical school. I did uh, some years before I I trained in psychiatry, just a normal sort of medical, you know, um, practice. So I do have that kind of physical health knowledge in my background that psychologists wouldn't necessarily have. So when I'm thinking about mental health, I can also think about those things as well. Mm. And I guess going to medical school um, allows me to do a couple of things so it allows me to prescribe medications which most psychologists wouldn't be able to do I know obviously some nurse prescribers are there but I can prescribe any different kinds of medications and also give any kind of diagnoses so again psychologists often can give some diagnoses so for example things like autistic spectrum disorders and some psychologists Mm. feel comfortable giving ADHD diagnoses but they tend to not be able to give things um, like depression or psychosis and usually has to be a doctor who does that right so it allows me to do those kinds of things that are a bit different that's that's really useful thank you for clarifying that and I think you've taken it your role into more of coaching and education around supporting parents in the parenting role can you tell us about yeah so I mean I still spend some time working clinically and but half my time I do really enjoy coaching because quite often parents perhaps they're not at a stage where they really want to be going and seeking a diagnosis or maybe even necessarily kind of formal therapy but equally Mm. they sort of feel that something isn't going quite right and they just want a bit more sort of support and a way of thinking about what's happening to them and and their kids and I really enjoy that sort of pre-clinical stuff really because if you can kind of get in early and just support parents sometimes just to make very small shifts it can make such a big difference to how their kids feel and you know they never ever end up going down sort of a clinical path which I think is the ideal situation really if you can catch it early and kind of stop it getting worse what kind of things would parents maybe come to you with 
think often um, it tends to be sort of behavioral things, sometimes linked to when they're sort of wondering about maybe autistic spectrum disorder, but they're not really sure they want to pursue that diagnosis because a lot, a lot of parents don't feel that they particularly want to sort of have a label for their child. And sometimes they just want a bit of support thinking about what they can do differently to help their child. Sometimes it's around things like boundary setting or if they're just not sure what's going on, like if their child just won't talk to them and they sort of, you know, they don't seem mm. right, but they don't know how to support them even when they're like as a teen, for example, who doesn't really want to tell what's going on. Parents yeah. feel a bit lost if that happens. There's actually lots of things yeah. you can do, even if your kid doesn't particularly want to talk to you. So um, I often support them with that. What kind of things would you recommend, if, especially for teenagers? Because I bet that happens a lot. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think a lot of it is about not actually forcing um, your kids to talk, but about sort of recognising and letting them know that you know something is not right. Mm. And I really like to, so the way kind of I think about parents is the four essential sort of aspects to parenting and it's really about balancing those four things and I think for kids who you know aren't okay but they're not really talking to you then really kind of an aspect I'd probably focus on is sort of nurture letting them know that you're there being present with them more of the time Mm. so that they I guess you can still be close without necessarily having to make them speak so creating a lovely foundation for which yeah kind of go from there and what what age do you start working with children certainly in my coaching time it doesn't matter I mean I love working with parents from really early on so like to help mm-hmm. them set really good foundations you know for when their children are babies yeah. or kind of all the way up to 18 in clinical practice we train to work sort of from the age of about four onwards um, up to 18 and nowadays in clinical practice I work mostly with teenagers of 13 upwards And you mentioned something before about people getting seen in a really timely manner. And I think that's so important. And I think people and parents can maybe have concerns and and it's just nice to hear that actually you can get support really early on. Do you find there's a lot of stigma around seeing a psychiatrist or is this improving? Because over the years, I've seen stigma reduced for people attending therapy and the huge benefits in people getting timely help. So if a parent had concerns about their child but was also concerned about stigma what would you advise I think some parents definitely are kind of probably worried more about a psychiatrist because I think it sort of makes them feel like things are more sort of serious you know and that there's going to be a diagnosis involved and their child might get a label whereas obviously you can go and see a therapist without a formal you know diagnosis necessarily and I think parents do worry about it a bit it's also quite hard to find um, a psychiatrist necessarily it's often a little bit easier to find a therapist doing um, a particular kind of therapy. But I think what I would say is psychiatrists are really good at thinking about the bigger picture and what to do next. So I think if you decide as a parent that you, you know, going for therapy, and that might be the right therapy for your child, and it might kind of all be great, um, but you might actually miss some stuff out. So it might be that there needs to be a bigger look at what's going on, perhaps some more assessments. And often psychiatrists won't necessarily do them, but they'll sort of know what they would like to find out more about, or if there's like an extra assessment needed, thinking from all angles, just to make sure that your child has all the right support. Because obviously we can seek support, but I mean, it's a really specialist subject child psychiatry Mm. and you know as parents we might sort of think well we think it's depression and therefore you know let's go and find them you know counsellor or CBT therapist Uh, and that might be right but it can also be other things that sort of masquerade as depression or masquerade as something else and I guess Mm. a psychiatrist can think about all of them and say well I think it's this because of all of these different things and 
this is probably the best treatment. So it's almost like if it was my daughter who was ill, I'd want to make sure she's getting the right treatment for whatever's going on for her. So that's really interesting. It sounds like seeing a psychiatrist can be a really good first step to get a really broad overview, a really broad assessment, and then you can advise on which therapy or what steps next to take. I think in an ideal scenario, if it was my own child, that's what I would do. Mm. I'd want a really, um, because the the initial assessment is probably the most important thing, because if you get the right assessment done, then you can get, you know, to the right treatment quicker. Uh, whereas if the initial assessment is done or, or maybe not even done because you've sort of decided yourself what you think is going on, then you might end up going down the wrong path and not getting the right treatment until a while later. So I think getting someone experienced to make that initial assessment and give you advice is the best first step. Can you tell us a little bit about what an assessment would involve? Just thinking for people listening that might not have heard that word. Yeah, so usually, I mean, if I was doing it myself, usually it takes maybe a couple of sessions or three sessions, depending on how things are. So what you'd really want to know is obviously you want to know what's going on for them now and get a really good grip of, you know, what exactly what's happening for the child that's worrying parents. But you'd also want to go back thinking about their really early life. So I really like to take a very good developmental history, everything from when they were born, like what kind of baby they were, like, did they have any difficulties? What was it like like sort of going to school and that sort of thing? Because it basically starts to tell you um, a lot of, you know, interesting information that might be affecting them now. And I'd also want to know about things like what school is like, you know, what are the relationships like with other adults, like grandparents or any other significant adults, and kind of get a really holistic view of the child. And usually I would you know, depending on how old the child is, obviously, but if they're sort of, you know, old enough to do their own talking, I'd probably want some information from them and also some information mm-hmm. from the parents. And if I can speak to people like teachers or, you know, other people who are involved with them, I probably want to do that as well, just so I get a really good picture of what's going on. So it's quite thorough. Yeah, it sounds like you look into every kind of nook and cranny to get a really good, broad kind of spectrum picture. Yeah. And if, for example, is part of the history, I think, I wonder if there's a physical health problem going on here. Um, there's, you know, some something in the history that makes me wonder about that. Then I, you know, might ask the GP to do some bloods or, you know, say to the GP, I think this kind of investigation would be appropriate to make sure it's not like a physical health problem presenting in this way. Fantastic and I work with a lot of parents and what's coming to the surface at the moment is the concerns around the current pandemic. What do you see being the impact for the younger generation? I think what's really hard for them is that their world is changing so they you know used to sort of have an idea of how the world works and then suddenly it's all just having to change very very rapidly so I think it's instability really and of course you know they're looking to us as parents to to support them but we don't know what's going to happen either yes our world has changed and gone upside down as well it's not like we're going through a crisis that adults might sort of have a bit more of an idea about because it's sort of new to all of us Mm. Um, and I think that's really tough for them I think a lot of them worry about missing out on things and not being able to get the experience they need or that you know like the exams they need to sort of move on I mean I think all of those things will get resolved in some way because obviously there's a whole sort of generation of 
children affected by this but mm. I think for them holding that in mind is really tough because you know there used to be one way of things happening and there isn't quite a new way of things happening so I think that's mm. really difficult yeah and socially it's such a shame isn't it yes. because this is what we're doing you know young people that's when you learn all that stuff isn't it and I think it's what's really difficult is for kids who are sociable and yeah. you know used to having a lot of kids around them and that's kind of one of their ways of feeling good of course their numbers of kids they can see is reduced mm. and I think for some children that will be really difficult because yeah. actually they used to you know having a lot of friends that they socialize with all the time and that makes them happy yes yeah but I suppose with technology and things like zoom like we're using today that there are ways that people can kind of make sure that's still incorporated and hopefully it'll be over soon but we'll see what kind of advice are you giving to parents to help them support their children at this time one of the main things I'd talk about is the parents to firstly make sure they're kind of okay because it is stressful for us adults and really at any age kids really uh, feed off our own stresses especially if you have quite a close relationship with your child mm. um, so if they can see that you're stressed then they're going to be stressed as, as well so I think first of all putting ourselves in a place that you know helps us feel okay is really important and I think really helping your child do things that they love to do in whatever way that is yeah. at the moment I mean it might be different to how it usually was mm. but to just really support whatever interest they have so they can have some normality you know in in what they do yeah I think it's interesting that you say that parents need to look at themselves first because I bet they're so focused on the child that sometimes they can well I definitely know mums can neglect their own needs can't they oh I don't I never get bored of saying it but I think parents mm. think that if I just sort of focus on my child and I can meet their needs then you know it's going to be okay but you can't really meet their needs without meeting your own needs because they'll they'll know that it's really difficult to be sensitive when you're sort of not okay yes yeah so it's definitely really important it's an important point that isn't it is there anything you do to help your mental health do you do any daily practices yeah no I definitely do and I mean this yeah. is something that I've been doing before COVID but it certainly came in really really handy when I was you know when we did sort of go into lockdown and things were tough mm. so I have to do some exercise every day and I tend to dance I, I really love dancing oh, so um it's not sort of you know I'm, I've never been someone who goes to the gym or anything like that I, I like to do sort of ballet and I used to do ballroom and Latin dancing obviously oh, it's wow. actually come back now but during the lockdown there was a really big break from that mm. so I have to sort of I get up in the morning to do a little bit of that every day I meditate every day for about 10 minutes just to reshort short meditation in the morning to kind of set myself up and I also I, I started playing the cello when I was an adult yeah. a few years ago and I practice most days because I just find that having those little improvements it, it can just be so rewarding you know when the world just feels mm. like it's so chaotic and like nothing is changing in the right way actually seeing your own little improvements in something small can just help you feel a bit more sort of in control yeah is this something you've done quite consciously to have things in place and I think a few years ago and I kind of as a young mum really um I had a really tough time after my daughter was born with postnatal depression and I think I sort of realized that there were some things that I had to do most days to kind of be okay really and that when I go for long periods without doing those things, I start to feel not that okay. I sort of start to, you know, just 
feel really irritable and not at my best really so yeah to find a way of making them a bit of a routine to kind of make sure I fit them in most days at least like and it's not none of this is long it's only sort of for you know a few minutes but there are things that kind of keep me okay so important that we have these kind of anchors in our life that can keep us kind of our head above water at times yeah I've definitely found that because those practices were already in place when the lockdown started and there were things I could kind of continue doing thankfully that didn't rely on me necessarily being with other people um it was nice to just be able to to keep some normal things going (laughs) completely yeah I suppose it keeps your attention on on other things because our you know the pandemic especially can completely hijack all of our attention and when we have little things that we enjoy and focus our attention and you know it's a break from it isn't it yeah it's definitely a mental break and I know that um obviously mindfulness is a really big thing yeah. and, and some people do very well with things like meditation and kind of quiet mindfulness and I, and I can do that very briefly but I do find that more sort of physical activity like learning something like learning and um, to play you know a piece you have to be focused on it because if you're not focused on it you know it'll all sort of go wrong it kind of is a sort of practical mindfulness activity in reality <laughs> yeah and I know for d- children that sometimes they're encouraged to do mindfulness in a more practical way aren't they children might struggle to sit down but if they're doing a walking meditation that's easier for them or incorporating it with an activity yeah I think for some people the more sort of what we think of as kind of traditional mindfulness is is just not how their body works Um, they need something a little bit more physical and it's just I think it's finding the right things because everyone is different and you know it took me you know a lot of my life to come to these particular things that I know help me feel okay and I think for us as parents helping our kids find those things that help them be okay is is a really important thing because if our child can see that we take a bit of time out to do these particular things that help us be okay they sort of see that that's normal for adult life to you know that's what you're aiming for whereas I think for kids often they do activities because I don't know we we think they'll like it or we think they're going to be good at it but just doing it for fun, just doing it because it's enjoyable and it helps you be okay is a slightly different sort of motivation. Yeah, I think that's so important because culturally it's very fashionable to just be working and busy all the time, isn't it? But that from yeah. health, that's just a complete disaster really, isn't it? And actually we have to work on keeping these hobbies and, and things that we enjoy and things that support our mental health every day in our routine sometimes I ask um, people that come to see me you know what do you do to relax and stuff and they say I go on holiday once a year (laughs) and it's like oh kind of need to be doing something each day don't we one question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast is if you could have a conversation with your 15 year old self what would you say and what would you want your younger self to know I really loved that question actually when I um, (laughs) saw I think it's a great question and I had to think about it for some time and I obviously I spend a lot of my time with teenagers so I sort of see the pressures they're under and and they're different from when we were younger but I think some of them are similar but I think for me it is all about doing the things that um, you love just for the sake of enjoying them I think when we have teenagers because we're always thinking about what they might become and their potential and 
you know, how they could become this, that and the other. We sort of see activities as kind of achievements or some kind of long term plan. Whereas sometimes it's good to just do things because you enjoy them. You know, I, I'm not going to become, you know, a cellist by any stretch of the imagination, you know, in an orchestra. But I, I really love playing cello. Whereas yeah. I think when I was 15, if I was, you know, playing an instrument, I did used to play an instrument when I was 15. There was so much more pressure to, you know, get get the exams, get the grades, you know, be better it sort of takes all the joy out of some of the things that we like doing I think it would be around that it would be around find things you love to do and do them because you like to do them not because you have to pass an exam in it or achieve some other accolade yeah that's a really nice kind of perspective I think that's so important and then you never know things you know you don't know what things are going to turn into do you or how they're going to shape your world and your life and but you've just got to give things a go and even if all that happens is they just become a very healthy habit that yeah helps you feel good and that's actually pretty good (laughs) to have that straight from the outset from being a teen you know having a set of things that you like to do that relax you and that help your mental health I'm just thinking about as we talk about teenagers the the pressure that you mentioned the pressure they're under and they really are do you think social media is tough for our teenagers. Yes, definitely. Um, and I think the pandemic's made it harder because now um, social media is sort of seeping down to younger kids. My daughter's eight and, you know, we've had no end of trying to negotiate variety of sort of electronic means of communicating. And I think it is um, so difficult to find it's a different when you are online, there is a different way of interacting that isn't the same as as face to face interacting. Mm. And I think it's like a whole other set of rules to learn. And I think if you've learned them, that's fine. But I think if you sort of hit being a teenager and you you don't quite know what it is that you're doing and no one is really telling you, then you can end up in all sorts of, you know, having all kinds of very difficult, unpleasant kind of conversations or people being horrible to you and not really knowing how to find a way through that. Because, you know, human interactions have a lot more cues than internet interactions do. And I really found this with my daughter when she's used quite a lot of Skype very early on in lockdown because obviously we're trying to keep in touch you know with friends Mm. and uh, they ended up having some really sort of unpleasant conversations with some people who I know you know in real life and they're her friends but I think it's that lack of kind of cues and lack of knowing how how to kind of handle it online that is different and I just had to sit down with her and sort of explain like you just you have to behave quite differently online you can't it's not the same you don't assume things in the same way and it, it was just a totally different world. Sometimes I, it feels like it's, you know, when you're in the car and you do something wrong and somebody shouts at you from the other car and there's that barrier. Sometimes on technology, it feels like you've got that barrier. So people might say things they wouldn't be able to say into your face. And, you know, so I think we have to be extra kind to each other, don't we? And The other thing is that whatever you put down, people, you know, older kids, especially, they can take a screenshot of it. They can share it with everyone. And yeah. suddenly a comment you made to one person is uh, public knowledge and, and people are all, you know, judging you over like a sort of slightly, you know, annoyed comment that you send to one person, which is really different from face-to-face interaction. You know, you might have a bit of an argument with someone, but they can't physically show other people evidence of what's happened and I think again it's that it's that thinking through which which is tough you know it's tough for adults I mean adults do that kind of thing 
and I think it's even tougher for kids. They are navigating a, a stressful world, aren't they? Definitely. What have you got available currently for people who would like some support, who've maybe been listening to this and think, you know, they'd like to find out a bit more about what you do and, and what you offer? At the moment, I mean, I've got quite a lot of things that I do um, on Facebook. So I've got a group that's set up and I'm doing some lives actually every month in there. So parents to come and ask questions, which is really great. It's completely free. People can come and join it and, you know, just join the live and ask me stuff they want to you know ask about their kids and sort of like a just like a sort of live coaching session almost to answer questions we had one just one last week all about going back to school which was really great sort of people bringing like the difficulties that their kids have with going back to school at the moment there's also there's quite a lot of free sort of resources to download off my website there's one sort of different age group so people can have a look at what's relevant to them I've done for sort of teenage mental health because it's for me it's sort of my specialist subject really um for people who really want to know a bit more or maybe want to know what to do next you know with their kids that they're worried about I've got some very cheap actually support kits that are all about helping parents to think through what to do next like what questions to ask professionals how to choose like professionals to be involved and also about how to support your child sort of why you're waiting for help because I think for a lot of parents that's really tough so kind of some very specific advice about how you might want to do things slightly differently if you're worried that your child has a mental health difficulty but you haven't quite sort of got an answer yet about what's going on for them there's quite a lot you can do and if you want to kind of go more in depth I do have like a fuller mental health course uh, all about teen mental health for anyone who wants more sort of in-depth knowledge really and I do do one-to-one work I don't do a lot of it but I do do one-to-one coaching with parents who want extra support really it sounds like there's lots of options there and what I like I think mental health services can be so confusing and you often yes. come to it when at a time when you're very stressed and you're very worried so it's even harder then to navigate so I like the idea that you've got kind of things that maybe make that clearer and if there's a wait there's something for people to to kind of get some support in the meantime because there are lots of things people can do if people wanted to get in touch with you what what's the best platform probably via email on my website you can contact me as well but it all comes through to my email uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy I always answer emails that I get so if people do have you know questions or whatever I'm very happy for them to get in touch uh, and if it is like a question about you know what's happening in your family then I'll probably you know get you to come onto live and ask me so that other people can listen in as well and fantastic and I in the show notes I'll link to your website and, oh, great. Um, and some of the resources as well and and maybe the Facebook page it sounds like that's a, a useful place to kind of get started as well so yeah thank you so much for joining us today it's been really an interesting insight well thanks so much for having me pleasure thank you